Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, Abayomi Azikawe. Uh, today is Saturday, uh, October the 1st. 2022, we're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of our program. Later on, we'll be coming up uh, with our regular Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, we'll have uh, dispatches on the, the recent military coup in the West African state of Burkina Faso, uh, where there are reports of continued fighting over the control of the government. Uh, Uganda is working to stem an outbreak of Ebola virus disease in East Africa, in the East African state. Uh, we'll have details on that as well. The United Nations says that it will work uh, with the Democratic Republic of Congo and the withdrawal of peacekeeping forces from the country. And the Federal Republic of Nigeria is celebrating 62 years of independence from Britain amid preparations for national elections. In the second and third hours, we continue our focus on the speeches delivered at the United Nations General Assembly 77th session uh, that was held in late September in New York City. We will review addresses by representatives from Iran, uh, Palestine, Cuba, and Eritrea. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, right now, we'll take our musical interlude uh, with the music of Zyka Zyko Langa Langa. Ya ka ko ya ba na ko ni ko na ko 
Welcome back, and uh, you've been listening to music from the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, from the band uh, Zaiko Langa Langa, and uh, this is the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Uh, The day is Saturday, October 1st, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Once again, uh, to yet another edition uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. The lead story uh, deals with the recent uh, security and political situation uh, in the West African state of Burkina Faso. The Army officers who seized power in Burkina Faso uh, yesterday said uh, Topo military leader Paul Henry San Diego Namiba was planning a counteroffensive uh, from a, quote, French base, unquote. Gunshots uh, rang out earlier today in the capital of Ouagadougou. Amid signs of lingering tensions, a day after the officers overthrew the man who seized power in a coup, only nine months late earlier, uh, Namiba is believed to have taken refuge in the French base at the Camboisin uh, in order to plan a counteroffensive to stir up trouble in our defense and security forces, unquote, the coup maker said in a statement uh, read out on national television and signed by Captain Ibrahim Traore, the country's new leader. Uh, France, the former colonial power in Burkina Faso, denied the allegation. An hour before the televised comments uh, by uh, the military figures, the French embassy issued a statement, uh, quote, firmly denying any involvement of the French army in the events of the last few hours, unquote. The embassy also denied, quote, rumors that Burkinabi authorities have been hosted or are under the protection of the French military, unquote. In a statement published on the official Facebook page of the presidency, uh, Da Miba urged his rivals, quote, to come to their senses to avoid a fractional War, fratricidal war that Burkina Faso doesn't need, unquote. Angry protesters attacked the French embassy in Ouagadougou uh, earlier today. Video on social media showed residents with lit torches outside the perimeter, and other images showed part of the compound ablaze. In Burkina Faso's second largest city of Bobo, Jua Lasso, angry crowds also vandalized the French Institute. Traore was previously head of a special force unit, COBRA, in the northern region of Kaya. Damiba's uh, whereabouts, meanwhile, remain unknown. The chief of staff for Burkina Faso's army called on opposing factions to cease hostilities and continue talks, calling the situation, quote, an internal crisis within the national armed forces, unquote. Nation Secretary General Antonio Guterres condemned the seizure of power and called quote, on all actors to refrain from violence and seek dialogue, unquote. The spokesman said this in a statement, uh, quote, Burkina Faso needs peace, stability, and unity to fight terrorist groups and criminal networks operating in parts of the country, unquote, he said. Damiba uh, came to power in a coup in January, 
He installed himself as leader of the country of 16 million after accusing elected President Rosh Mark Christian Kabore of failing to beat back armed groups with much of the Sahel region battling a growing rebellion. The violence has prompted a series of coups in Mali, Guinea, and Chad uh, since 2020. France uh, has uh, a military presence in Burkina Faso uh, with a continuum of special forces based in Camboisin. That's 30 kilometers, some 19 miles from the capital of Ouagadougou. The situation in Ouagadougou was tense uh, earlier today. Uh, helicopters hovered above the city and shops that had been open for business in the morning shut their doors. The European Union and the African Union added their voices to a chorus of global condemnation of the second coup this year in the deeply poor and rusted West African countries. The chairperson calls upon the military to immediately and totally refrain from any acts of violence or threats to the civilian population, civil liberties, human rights, the African Union said in a statement. The junior officers who toppled Damiba said he had failed to prevent armed attacks in the country. Uh, yesterday, pre-dawn gunfire erupted around the presidential palace. Within hours, a dozen soldiers and fatigues appeared on the state television and radio broadcaster to announce Damiba's removal. The new leader swiftly suspended the Constitution, sealed the borders, dissolved the draft national government and legislative assembly and instituted 5 p.m. curfew. Additional uh, news reports uh, from uh, the West African state of Burkina Faso. Angry protesters attacked the French embassy in Burkina Faso and the capital of Ouagadougou on Saturday earlier today after supporters of the West African nation's new coup leader accused France of harboring the ousted interim president, a charge French authorities have vehemently denied. A group of soldiers appearing on state television late last night announced that uh, Lieutenant Colonel Paul-Henri San Diego Damiba uh, had been overthrown less than nine months after he mounted a coup himself in Burkina Faso. While his whereabouts uh, remained unknown uh, today and even in this evening, a new statement attributed to Damiba was posted on the Burkina Faso presidency's Facebook page directed at the newly declared leader, Captain Ibrahim Traore. I recall on Captain uh, Traore and company to come to their senses to avoid a fratricidal war that Burkina Faso does not need. Said the statement attributed to uh, Damiba, uh, who unlike other ousted West African leaders has yet to tender a resignation. Earlier Saturday, comments by a junta spokesman had set into motion an outburst of anger in Ouagadougou, the capital. Damiba has tried to retreat to the Corbusan uh, French military base to prepare a counteroffensive in order to sow divide divisions among our defense and security forces. That's according to L Lieutenant Jean-Baptiste Cabré. He read the statement uh, on behalf of the new junta leadership. Video on social media showed residents with lit torches outside the perimeter of the French embassy and other images showed part of the compound ablaze. In Burkina Faso's second largest city, Bobo Agilasso, angry crowds also vandalized the French Institute. France has denied any role in the events unfolding uh, in its former colony 
and warned its citizens to stay at home amid a confusing situation in the capital. Quote, we condemn these in the strongest terms of violence against our diplomatic presence in Burkina Faso, the French foreign ministry said in a statement late Saturday. Any attack on our diplomatic facilities is unacceptable, unquote. In an earlier statement uh, today, the ministry said that the camp uh, where the French forces are based has never hosted Paul-Henri uh, Damiba, nor has our embassy. Traore, the 34-year-old army captain uh, who was named in charge after the Friday evening coup was announced on state television, said in interviews uh, earlier today that he and his men did not seek, seek to harm Damiba. If we wanted we would take him within five minutes of fighting and maybe he would be dead, the president. But we don't want this catastrophe. Traore told this to the Voice of America. We don't want to harm him because we don't have any personnel problem with uh, him. We're fighting for Burkina Faso. He later told Radio Omega, quote, we have no intentions to bring Damiba to justice. We only wish that he would go rust because he is tired. And as for us, we are going to continue to do the work, unquote. As uncertainty prevailed, the international community widely condemned the ouster of Damiba, who himself overthrew the country's democratically elected president in January. U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price uh, said uh, earlier today that the United States is deeply concerned by events in Burkina Faso. We call on those responsible to de-escalate the situation prevent harm to citizens and soldiers, and return to a constitutional order, he said. The African Union and the West African region bloc, known as ECOWAS, also sharply criticized the developments. ECOWAS finds this new power grab inappropriate at a time when progress has been made, the bloc said, citing the MIBA's recent agreement to return to constitutional order by July of 2024. After taking power in January, Damiba promised to end the Islamic extremist violence that has forced 2 million people to flee their homes in Burkina Faso. But the group of officers led by Traore said today that Damiba had failed and was being removed. The new junta leadership said it would commit all fighting forces to refocus on the security issue and the restoration of the integrity of our territory. But it remains to be seen whether the junta can turn around the crisis. Concerns already were mounting earlier today that the latest political volatility would further distract the military and allow the jihadis to strengthen their grip on the once peaceful country. Still some in Burkina Faso's military, the Miba uh, was seen as too cozy with former colonizers of France, which maintains a military presence in Africa's Sahel region to help countries fight Islamic extremists. Some who support the new coup leader, Traore, have called on Burkina Faso's government to seek Russian support instead. One point of uh, contention that was divided, uh, that has divided the MPSR junta, which is the military uh, committee which seized power back in January, the army and indeed the population for months, uh, has been the voice of international partners and said uh, Constantine Gouvi, a Burkina Faso researcher at the Klingal Dial, the Netherlands Institute of International Relations. The MIBA was leaning towards France, but we might see that the MPSR are more actively exploring alternatives from now on, 
with Turkey or Russia, for example, Agubi added. In neighboring Mali, the coup leader uh, has invited uh, Russian Military uh, Services Corporation, the Wagner Group, to help with security, a move that has drawn global condemnation and accusations of human rights abuses. Mali also saw a second coup nine months after the August 2020 overthrow of its president, uh, when the junta leader sidelined his civilian transition counterparts and put himself alone in charge. Quite ago, Zugmore, uh, president of the Burkina Faso Movement for Human Rights, called the last overthrow, quote, very regrettable, unquote, saying the political instability would not help in the fight against the extremist uh, violence. How can we hope to unite people and the army if the latter is characterized by such serious divisions, Zouk Moray said. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In other news, uh, in uh, the East African state of uh, Uganda, uh, there's been a Ebola a virus disease outbreak, and um, the country is attempting uh, to address uh, this outbreak. Uh, you can read uh, the details uh, of uh, these developments over the Pan-African Newswire. Also, the head of the United Nations Peacekeeping Mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which was the target of deadly protests during the summer, said the United Nations is, quote, ready and willing, unquote, to work closely with the government to step up the pace of withdrawal of the U.N. forces that has over 14,000 troops and police. Then, too, Keita uh, told the Security Council yesterday in the wake of the resurgence of the M23 rebel group in recent months, the crisis of confidence that had already affected the UN mission and the people in eastern Congo had worsened. This provided fertile ground for stigmatization of the force and the sowing of disinformation about the mission known as MONUSCO. Uh, that has led to a new, violent, new series of violent protests and serious incidents claiming the lives of some dozens of protesters and of four mission personnel, she said. The DRC's mineral-rich east is home to a myriad of rebel groups. Security has worsened uh, there, despite a year of emergency operations by the armies of the DRC and Uganda. Civilians in the east have faced violence from jihadi rebels linked to the fighting has also escalated between Congolese troops and the M23 rebels forcing nearly 200,000 people to flee their homes. UNESCO's mission is to protect civilians, deter armed groups, and build a capacity of state institutions and services. But protesters said armed groups were still roaming the east, and the UN force wasn't protecting them. The peacekeepers were also accused of retaliating against the protesters, sometimes with force. And uh, finally, in the West African state of Nigeria, Nigerians are celebrating the 62nd anniversary of their independence uh, with the country's leaders acknowledging the economic and security hardships citizens are facing as they prepare to vote for a new president in four months. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari rode a wave of goodwill to power in 2015 after promising to overcome the obstacles stifling the country's progress despite being Africa's most populous nation and largest economy. Buhari, uh, who will not be running for office again, said his government has, quote, made appreciable progress, unquote, on security, the economy, and fighting corruption, but conceded that we are not yet 
at our destination. Nigeria's 33% unemployment and 40% poverty rates are the worst in decades, government estimates show. Moreover, thousands have been killed during the last year in attacks by armed groups in the nation's troubled northern region and by Islamic extremist rebels in the northeast. I share the pain Nigerians are going through, and I assure you that your resilience and patience will not be in vain, unquote, Buhari said. In the commercial hub of the capital, Lagos, and other parts of the country, thousands of people marched amid a heavy police presence in support for Peter Obi, one of the leading contenders in February's presidential election. The Nigerian government worries more about people with placards than it worries about people with weapons. Ayo Sogunro, a Nigerian human rights lawyer, said of the heavy security presence campaigning for the highly anticipated presidential election began this week with 18 candidates vying for the country's top political position. Leading candidates include Bola Tinubu uh, from the ruling All Progressives Congress and a former government of Lagos, governor of Lagos State, former Vice President Akiku Abubakar from the opposition People's Democratic Party, and Obi, uh, who is seeking to break the 23-year grip on power shared by uh, those two parties. Uh, with that, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. Including this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Uh, since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, this worldwide uh, radio broadcast, uh, just go uh, to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. And uh, that's located uh, at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast. And uh, right now we're going to take another break, and uh, we will, of course, enjoy uh, the music of uh, the Legendary, legendary uh, John Lee Hooker. Yeah. 
va maintenant entendre l'allocution de l'Assemblée Ibrahim président de la République de l'Iran. le protocole de bien vouloir accompagner son Au nom de l'Assemblée générale, j'ai l'honneur de souhaiter la bienvenue à son excellence, monsieur. 
Saïd Ibrahim Raïsi, président de la République islamique d'Iran, et je l'invite à prendre la parole devant la Assemblée. God, the Creator, the Omnipotent, the Most Gracious, and the Most Merciful, may the blessings of the Almighty shine upon the Prophet Muhammad and his descendants and successors. The Holy Quran states, Dear Creator, Omnipotent of the world, accept our regards and respects towards your chosen messengers, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Prophet Muhammad, who brought the message of justice, spirituality, and proper behavior and compassionate comportment to the people of the world, and they destroyed the foundation of injustice and lack of fairness to allow humans to build a new world for their future. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Secretary General, the foundational need for a better world is justice. All of the hopes and aspirations of humankind are built on justice and they have the capacity for the creation of such a framework of all-encompassing justice which means elimination of injustice. We are defenders of a fight against in all of its forms, against humanity, against spirituality, against the Almighty, against the people of the world, no matter where it may occur. And wish to be closer to the Creator and the teachings of the Creator exist in all humanity. And their willingness for change and revolutions throughout the history of humanity, even though a lot of movements never reached the maturity of a revolution, many of the revolutions deviated from their original path. However, the success of many people and nations, such as the nation of Iran, in the realization of their aspirations for the Islamic revolution has strengthened in the heart of the people around the globe such aspirations. in order to create justice internally and bring to the world order a message of justice and fairness. Key components on this path spirituality, Ladies and gentlemen, I am grateful and honored to be the representative of a people and a nation that has inherited a great civilization that has been free for millennia 
ناکام گذاشتند ملتی که همواره ظلم را مایه تباهی دانسته و در شل تاریخ خود با اصارت دیگر ملت ها نیز مبارزه کرده است از اصارت بابلی تا اصارت فلسطین ما قائل به سرنوشت مشترک برای بشریت هستیم و از جهانی شدن ادالت حمایت میکنیم و آنچه را برای خود میپسندیم برای دیگران آرزو میکنیم و آنچه را برای خود نمیپسندیم به دیگران تحمیل نمیکنیم ملت ایران بر این باورد که ادالت وحدت آفرین است و ظلم جنگ فروز این که کشوری در داخل خود مدعی ادالت باشد اما در خارج انواع تروریست ها را تربیت کند و به جان ملت ها بیندازد یا با تحلیل فشارهای مختلف ملت ها را به تسلیم وادار کند باید هم از بشریت شرم کند هم از آزادی و هم از ادالت انسانیت منحصر به بخشی از انسان ها نیست حقوق بشر خود با تأمین حقوق همه بشر متصور نیست جمهوری اسلامی ایران با الهام از باورهای دینی و بر مبنای روح و نسل قانون اساسی خود یکی از کارآمدترین ساز کارها یکی از کارآمدترین ساز کارها را در دیانت از حقوق بشر در اختیار داشته و با موثرترین ابزارها استیفای حقوق نقض شده هر فرد را رسالت انسانی مسئولیت حاکمیتی و دیده الهی و یک معمولیت تفقید شده از سوی مردم میداند جمهوری اسلامی استاندارهای جوانه برخی از دولتها در زمینه حقوق بشر را مهمترین عامل نهادین شدن نقض حقوق انسان دارد که قیامت آن موزیدیه های متنوع و متعدد در قبال یک رخصاد در حال بررسی در جمهوری اسلامی ایران به سکوت مرگبار درباره قتل دهها زن بی پناه در مدت کوتاهی در یکی از کشورهای غربی تا زمانی که این دوگانگی پابرجا باشد حقوق بشر از گزند نقدهای مکرر در امان نخواهد بالاتر از حقوق بشر حقوق ملت‌ها که براحتی توسط قدرت های ظالم حق جوامع عمومی کانادا که وز فرزندانشان به جای کلاس های مدرسه در گورهای دست جمعی حیات مدرسه دفت شدند حق تعیین سرنوشت ملت فلسطین حق توسعه ملت های تحت تحریم حق حیات ملت های تحت یا قربانی تروریست کودکان را در قفس های جداگانه از مادران و پدران خود نفوس می کنند همگی نشان می دهند که جایگاه مدعی و متهم در مسئله حقوق بشر نباید جا به جا شد و این تنافزان واقعی حقوق بشر شایستگی اخلاقی لازم برای اظهار نظر درباره حقوق بشر را ندارند 
نقش بی نظیر ایران در نامیزی داعش که فقط یک مورد از جنایاتش این بود که زنان کرد و مسیحی را به بردگی میگه که خواهیت میکنه دهد ما در جایگاه مدنی و مدافع حقوق بشر هستیم و حامیان داعش در جایگاه متهم قرار دارم خوزدار بخارم این اگر در شرایطی گرده هم آمدیم که با یک واقعیت مهم یعنی چرخش و تغییر جهان و ورود به دوران و نظمی جدید مواجه هستیم جهان کهنه جهان یک جانب جرائی جلد تلوی قلبه سرمایه بر اخلاق و ادالت و فضیلت توسی دهنده فقر و تبعیز و نابرابری کارگیری و خشونت تحریم و نقض حقوق ملت ها استفاده از سازمان ها و نادهای بینومدی بنوان افزار فشار و کشورهای مستقل بیشدد یک کلام جهانی از هر نظر ناعادلانه این نظم ناعادلانه مشروعیتش را در افکار عمومی دنیا از دست داده و اراده های جدی برای تغییر آن شکل گرفته زوال این نظم کهنه تردید ناپذیر است منطقه ما یعنی قرب آسیا از افغانستان تا اراق، لبنان، فلسطین و ایران سربلند موزه بزرگ زوال این نظم کهنه است علاوه بر آن تهدید فضاینده تروریست و افرادی گرایی انحطاط فرهنگی زوال اخلاق سیاسی تذیف بیتاقی چند جانب گرایی در رشد بیمارونه اقدامات نامشروع یک جانبه چالش های بزرگی بر سر راه پیشرفت همه جانبه رتاقی بشر پدید آورنده ما بر این باوریم که برای مقابله با تهدیدهای دیرین و معضلات نوین جهانی گزینه جز همبستگی و همکاری در کارتوب چند جانب گرایی مبتنی بر ادالت و بر اساس اصول و ارزشهای متعالی انسانی منبعث از آموزه های انبیاء الهی وجود ندارد بزدار محترم همه ملت های آزاده دل در گروه این ارزش های والا دارند اما همین سلسله باورها دلیل همه دشمنی ظالمان جهان با ماست آنچه ما می خواهیم حقوق ملت ایران است رابطه مبتنی بر ظلم را بر ما پای حقوق ملت قدر ما بر این باوریم که هر گونه رابطه ستمگری به ضرر صلح و امنیت جهانی و مهمترین تهدید برای جامعه جهانی آدیانگاری ظلم است دستافتن به امنیت جهانی از هر طریقی غیر از ادالت پایدار نخواهد ماند و این همان چیزی است که ما از سازمان ملل متحد انتظار داریم که انجام دهد آری اجرای ادالت سخت است و شاید به همین دلیل باشد که بسیاری از مدهیان صلح از ادالت بریدانند سوال ما از دولت های مدهیان است که اگر ارادهی برای اجرای ادالت ندارید آیا تمایلی برای مقابله با ظلم هم ندارید؟
منطق ما بیشه در همان فرهنگ قرآنی دارد که فرمود نه ظلم کنید و نه زیر بار ظلم بزنید در نوشت بسیاری از ملت ها با همین عبارت رقم میخورد کسانی که از قدرت منطق بیبهرند به منطق زور متوسط میشوند منطقی که بر پایه ادالت باشد قدرت سازد کشوری که منطق ندارد متوسل به خودتا اشغالگری مداخله نظامی لشکرکشی برخورد گذینشی با تروریسم و چه بسیار ظلم ها و بی ادالتی های دیگر می شود آیا توسل به سلاح اتمی جهان را به سوی ادالت سوق داد یا زمینه سلطگری شد کشت شدن صدها هزار کودک اراقی یمنی سوری و افغان در خدمت کدام آرمان بشری بودن آیا اینها جلوه های ظلم و بیعدالتی در جهان نیستند؟ راستی ایران چه چیزی غیر از مطالبه حقوق راستی ایران چه چیزی غیر از مطالبه حقوق قانونی و عادلانه خود مداران عالم را برا شفته کرده همکاران محترم امروز هجمونی کلبی و روحیه جنگ سر دنیا را آزار می دهد دوران جدیدی از نارامی جهان ما را تحدید می کند خواست ملت های جهان برای تحقق ادالت شدیدتر و اراده آنها برای پیشرفت استقلال و برخورداری از امنیت جدیتر شد بارور شدن دکترین مقاومت جلوه بارد عظم ملت ها برای تحقق ادالت است تکرار می کنم بارور شدن دکتری مقاومت جلوه بارز عظم ملت ها برای تحقق ادالت است. اما در مقابل یک جانب جرائی به دنبال عقب داشتن کشورها از مسیر توسعه مستقل خود است امریکا نمی تواند به پذیرت کشورها روی پای خود بیستند و خامندیشانه نظامیگری را مایه امنیت تصور می کند دوستان آمیکان ایز وضع بهتری ندارند آنچه امروز در اروپا رو خیدهند آینی از آنچه در دعه های گذشته در آسیای قربی اتفاق ماهیت لشکرکشی به قرب آسیا و گسترش ناتو به شرق اروپا تفاوتی با یکیگر ندارند چرا که در هر دو سرنوشت کشورها توسط آمریکایی تعریف می شود که منافع خود را با هزینه دیگران دنبالند انقلاب اسلامی آغاز حرکت ملت ایران برای رسیدن به جایگاه شایدان تحریم را پشتر 
but none of the successes of the Iranian nation have been acceptable to the great powers from the time that the first president of the Islamic Revolution of Iran, the late Mr. Rajai, showed the sole of his feet that had been tortured savagely and cases put upon this podium for some 40 years ago and showed the scars of the torture that he was subjected to uh, at the hands of the Shah Sikh 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 and be in charge of her own destiny. The people of Iran who have themselves been victims of terrorism have today become a supporter that can be counted in the fight against terrorism throughout the region. Today, the Islamic Republic of Iran, in order to reach her just aspirations spent much capital from the time when Saddam Hussein tore up the Algiers accords and attacked Iran in an unprovoked manner. All the way to the time when the American government trampled upon the nuclear accords, and we saw a new phase of criminal behavior against humanity. Sometime ago, the previous president of the United States of America announced that ISIS was created by the United States of America. For us, it makes no difference whether ISIS, Daesh, was made by which administration and which American government. What matters is that a government on the other side of this planet decided to bring chaos to the geography of our region at the expense of the lives and the blood of women and children and the innocents. But the Islamic Republic put an end that movement, to that destructive movement. And the leader that descended into the arena of the fight against terrorism was no one other than the beloved late martyr General Hassan Soleimani. A man, a freedom-seeking man who became a martyr on the path of obtaining the freedom of the nation of the region. And the previous president of the United States of America effectively managed to sign the document of the status of an illegal immoral that the oppression that is imposed upon the nations of the region in such a fashion to heal some of the broken hearts pursuit of justice in the face of a crime that the American president will not abandon. We 
دادگاه عادلانه تا حصول نتیجه قطعی دنبال خانوم ها داستان ملت ایران داستان ملتی است learn to stand on your own two feet and not to lean on anyone else depend on anyone else Iran learned this lesson after both world wars it announced its neutrality yet was always subject in both wars was a foreign occupation and after in the 1950s when came towards America and relied on America in order to obtain the national dream of the nationalization of the oil industry it was again betrayed and ولی خود را در برابر سیاسی و مدنی پیشرفته و مشترک و عقلانی ایران اسلامی علا رقم تحریم و تهدید امروز یک کشور قوی با دستاوردهای عظیم علمی و فنی به استقلال بینظیر در سطح منطقه و جهان است ما معتقدیم که امروز جهان به ایران قوی نیازمند است امروز ما در عین صادرات نفت و گاز شبکه in addition to our export of oil and gas, we do have distribution networks for electricity throughout our vast nation. In knowledge, knowledge, science, and knowledge, این دشمنان ما نبودند که کوتاه آمدند ملت ما بود که هر دشمنی را از میدان بیرون کرد ملت ایران با حضور مؤثر و مشارکت فراجی در نظم سیاسی برآمده از انقلاب اسلامی توانست ضمن پایبندی و ارزشاب الهام بخشی به ملت ها مرحله اول انقلاب اسلامی را با قدرت و موفقیت طی کند و اینک در گام دوم سیاست همسایگی و تعمیق چند جانب جرایی اقتصادی را در اولویت دستور کار سیاست خارجی خود قرار دارد. جمهوری اسلامی ایران خواستار تعامل حد با همه کشورهای 
جهان به خصوص کشورهای همسایه و دوست خود است جنگ راه حل بحران ها بلکه مسیر حل بحران گفتگو و تفاهم است جمهوری اسلامی ایران به عنوان کشوری قدرتمند در منطقه دارای اراده و توانایی برای کمک به حل بحران ها در یک سال گذشته پیوندهای اقتصادی ایران تقویت شده تجارت منطقه آن به صورت چشمگیری رشد با گسترش زیرساختهای همکاری اقتصادی پایدار فصل نوینی از دوستی و اعتماد متقابل پدید آمده است این سیاست همسایدی سیاست امنیتی و سباتاترین است ما در دوران تختی همسایگان اثبات کردیم پیار همسایگان خودی در همه گفتگوهای پرشماری که با رؤسا و سران منطقه داشتم یکی از مهمترین نکات مشترک این بوده که امنیت منطقه باید به صورت درونزا و بدون مداخله خارجی تأمین شود و راه آن همکاری نه بلوکبندی دوران پیرو دوران همکاری های پایدار برادری اگر سرنوشت منطقه به دست خود کشورهای منطقه درمان بخورد اشقالگران و دو ملت ایران و عراق پدید آمده بود In a not too distant past we saw the fires of war between the two brotherly nations of Iraq and Iran by موسیقی تاریخ معاصر ملتی مظلومتر از فلسطین و ظالمتر از رژیم اشکالگر قدس به خود ندیدند رژیم فیلسی که بیش از هفتاد سال آفاتاید تجاوزگری کشتار زنان و کودکان منطقه را کشتار زنان و کودکان منطقه را در کارنامه شیاه خود دارد بزرگترین زندان روی زمین را در قضبه در پاکه استمرار شهر اکسادی و تصاویر شیون و گریه مظلومان فلسطینی در اثر قصد عراضی منازل و مزاره آنان و کشتار پرزندانشان و همه نشان می دهد هفت دهه ظلم و اشکالگری اسرائیل بویا پایان ندارد دولت های مدعی آزادی و دموکراسی باید پاسخ بدهند چرا از فرمول روشن و عادلانه جمهوری اسلامی برای حل مسئله فلسطین فرار می کنند در فلسطین مزلوم ما به سیاست فلسطین واحد مرتقدیم 
همه سرزمین فلسطین از بحر تا نهر متعلق به ساکنان اصلی این سرزمین تاریخی و مقدس است راحل مسئله فلسطین فقط مراجعه به آرای همه فلسطین ها اهم از in a completely comprehensive referendum. The occupying Zionist power that has occupied Jerusalem and occupies other lands in the region cannot be a partner for security and stability. در حالی که رکن اساسی امنیت جهانی اما برخی قدرت ها تلاش دارند تهدید جمهوری اسلامی ایران به دنبال ساخت سلاح اطمینی و این سلاح جایی در دکتورین دفاعی ما ندارد این حکم حکومتی در فتوای رهبر معظم اطلاق اسلامی امام خامنی حفظه الله سالاق اعلام شده و برای دولت ایران فتوای شرعی issued by his eminence is more valuable than any measures with any outside or international agencies and all of this is taking place in an environment where countries themselves who seek to show us unjustly as a threat keep pursuing nuclear weapons and development and testing and have made a gift of those weapons of mass destruction to the Zionist government. And those governments that must be disarmed are awarded. But those who are observing the frameworks سرهامیز هستی ایران تنها دو درصد برنامه های هستهی جهان را شامل می شود و پنج درصد بازرسی ها از تحسیصات ما activities of the world are taking place in Iran. Iran has been the subject of 35% of nuclear inspections. I will repeat, only 2% of world nuclear activities are taking place in Iran. 35% of nuclear inspections are in Iran. So I ask all of those here present today to please focus on the next following points with precision. One, the Islamic Republic of Iran with good will, themselves said in so many words it, there were unprecedented measures, oppressive sanctions, or an imposed punishment on the people of Iran for their fourteen freedom seekers. The weapon of mass destruction that was and abiding by those or cooperating 
in the implementation of those two it was america that trampled upon and left the agreement the international that iran has remained fully committed to all of her commitments number paid the price for having lived up to her commitment, but the trampling upon by the United States and the cooperation of the European side by the United States has, man, has not been given the opportunity to obtain the reward of such agreement, the right of such agreement. We did give the ample opportunities for those who trampled upon and left this agreement to return to it. We have been extremely flexible and had it not been for our flexibility, the negotiations would have stopped in the very first few days. The logic of negotiations of Iran is a just analysis of what is going on. And our wish is only one thing, commitment for her to return to the fulfillment of her commitment. And while today they speak of observing their commitment to this deal, they keep repeating the same old stories of the past, which puts a great deal of doubt on her true commitment to return to this agreement, which brings us to another challenge. Can we truly trust without guarantees and assurances that they will this time live up to their commitment. Of course, the Republic of Iran with has managed to neutralize in many cases and created have found our path independent of any agreement, and we will continue on that path At the same time, while we are very serious in the last part of my words with you is based on the need felt throughout the world and fairness. Every single one of us, every single human must be a part actively building a new world based on human values. If we wish the new world to be acceptable to be one of the 
موفق و پیروزمند باشد راهی ندارد جز این که در محور ادالت جهانی شد این مهم نیازمند توجه و خصوصیت احساس مسئولیت مشترک جهانی در مقابل ظلم و بیعدالتی احترام به خواست و اراده ملت ها و عدم مداخله در مسیر متقل رشد آنها نفی استاندارهای زبانه مخالفت با جنگ و خشونت استقلال و عادلانه عمل کردن نهادهای بین المللی و مهمتر از همه نقشافتی انسانهای صالح و عادل در شکلیشن این نظم جدید نگاه ما آینده بسیار امیدوارانه است مؤمنانه باور داریم که بر مبنای مشیت و اراده الهی همانطور که بیامبران الهی بشارت دادن ادالت جهانی خواهد شد و حکومت بندگان صالح پروردگار در زمین حکم فرما و بشریت با ظهور آخرین منجی برسگار خواهد شد از توجه همه شما سمیمانه Au nom de l'Assemblée Générale, je tiens à remercier le Président de la République islamique d'Iran de son allocution et je prie le protocole de bien vouloir accompagner son Excellence. Welcome back. And that was uh, the President uh, Raisi of the Islamic Republic of Iran. speaking uh, before the United Nations uh, General Assembly, 77th session that was held uh, just last month in New York City. Uh, right now we want to listen to uh, the Foreign Minister of the Republic of Cuba, uh, who also delivered an address on behalf of the socialist island nation of Cuba. Let's listen in. I now give the floor to His Excellency Bruno Eduardo Rodriguez Parilla, Minister for Foreign Affairs of Cuba. Mr. President, delegates, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has laid bare, like never before, the true essence of the unjust and unsustainable prevailing international order. Never has humankind had this wealth of scientific and technical potential that it has now, neither has it ever had the extraordinary capacity that it does now to create wealth and well-being. And however, never before has the world been so unequal in terms of just how much people suffer. 828 million people, 10% of the world population, are going hungry, and around 50 million children 
suffer from stunting, the most deadly form of malnutrition. Unemployment will affect 207 million persons in 2022, 21 million more than in 2019. In the midst of the fourth industrial revolution, 773 million human beings do not know how to read or write. Around 6.5 million people have died as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Vaccinations to tackle this crisis are inaccessible to billions of people in low-income countries. In 2021, pharmaceutical multinationals earned 800 and some $850 billion. External debt has been paid several times over, and nevertheless, it is growing. Paradoxically, military expenditure at a global level is growing at a dizzying pace, and for the first time now, exceeds $2 trillion. Nothing justifies the fact that humankind continues to remain threatened by the existence of around 13,000 nuclear weapons. We champion the universalization of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. How much more could we maybe do if these resources were devoted to promoting health and development? How many deaths as a result of COVID and other diseases might have been avoided? How many boys and girls would be spared hunger and preventable illnesses? Mr. President, greenhouse gases reached record levels in 2021 and the same will occur this year. The average sea level has reached a new high. The last seven years are the warmest ever recorded in history. We cannot continue to fail to heed the alarm bells that are sounding to alert us to an imminent climate disaster. We have one planet Earth, one common home. For the rich and the poor, we must act without delay. The philosophy of war and plundering and the unreasonable patterns of production and consumption spawned by capitalism, decried by President Fidel Castro, will lead us to the apocalypse. International relations are moving, moving along a dangerous path. The U.S. offensive aimed at bending states to their will through threats and economic coercion, as well as military, political, and diplomatic coercion, efforts to subject them to an order based on their whimsical rules, together with the expansion of NATO and the development of a doctrine of aggression, hand-in-hand hand with the non-conventional war that's underway will inevitably lead to a climate of tension and conflict whose consequences are unpredictable. Mr. President, Cuba, as a small island developing state, has paid a high price 
for defending its legitimate right to exist as a sovereign and independent nation. For more than six decades now, we have resisted a ruthless and unilateral economic, commercial and financial blockade, which was ratcheted up to extreme unprecedented levels from 2009, in 2019, and this continued during the pandemic. Thirty years have now elapsed since the first General Assembly resolution against this blockade, and at this time the U.S. continues to ignore the almost unanimous demand from you to cease its illegal and brutal policy against Cuba. Endeavors are still waged on the part of the U.S. to create material shortages to sow despair disenchantment and to cause damage to the Cuban people. The government of the United States is strengthening pressure on banking institutions, companies and governments throughout the world that are interested in establishing relations with Cuba and the United States continues to obsessively pursue all sources of foreign exchange coming into the country to bring about the economic collapse of the nation. As a result, the Cuban economy has withstood extraordinary pressure that are having an impact on industry service provision, are leading to a scarcity in food and medicines, and are leading to a decline in consumption and a decline in the general well-being of our people. The human damage caused by this policy and felt by all Cuban families is impossible to quantify, but is nevertheless vast, cruel, and immoral. The blockade is an act of economic war in times of peace. The current government of the United States keeps in force the most aggressive measures of, measures of pressure on our country. These were adopted by the government of Donald Trump and remain in force. This administration continues the unfair inclusion of Cuba on the arbitrary list produced by the State Department of countries that supposedly sponsor terrorism. This slanderous classification of our country as a sponsor of terrorism stigmatizes our financial bodies and institutions and makes it extremely difficult for us to conduct transactions or to pay payments or access credit. Cuba has been a victim of state terrorism and does not promote, nor will it ever promote, terrorism. On the contrary, we condemn terrorism in all its forms and manifestations. The government of the United States manipulates opportunistically highly delicate issues such as terrorism, religion, democracy, justice, corruption, and human rights. The double standards, the inconsistency, the selectivity, the manipulation, the political manipulation indeed, of which the United States are guilty, damage the cause of human rights.
Some delegates have not dared to mention the sad blockade visited upon Cuba, and that is sad. I urge the government of the United States to solve the issues which fuel irregular migration and which promote the loss of life. These factors include their failure since 2017 to uphold their obligation according to bilateral agreements in force to earmark no less than some 20,000 annual visas to migrants. There is the Cuban Adjustment Law. There is the treaties that are politically motivated, there are restrictions placed on regular transit countries and the ratcheted up economic blockade. These cause migration and must be ceased. We've heard today that the processing of migrant visas will return to the Embassy of the United States in Havana and that is a positive step. Cuba reiterates its readiness to move towards a better understanding and better relations with the government of the United States and to develop civilized relations and including relationships of cooperation between both countries and this on the basis of mutual respect, sovereign equality and on the understanding that no attempts will be made to undermine our sovereignty and independence in spite of our major differences. We underscore the valuable commitment and the shown by Cubans and their descendants in protests that have occurred in that country and across the world to ensure that Cuba's sovereign rights are respected and to reject the merciless actions of the United States, in particular the policy of the economic blockade. I also wish to deeply thank heads of state and government for their statements in this general debate and I thank them for their historic support as well as that of the General Assembly. And I, I'm also thankful for the demonstrations of solidarity towards Cuba by governments, key figures, political organizations, solidarity movements, social and people's movements from across the world. Today, this solidarity and support remains absolutely vital. Mr. President, despite the colossal challenges faced, the Cuban people and government have not let up in their attempts to forge ahead with the construction of a socialist society which is fairer, democratic, prosperous and sustainable. We conquered COVID-19 with resources, our own vaccines and the solidity of our public health system and our system of science. We were able to humbly contribute by sending 58 medical brigades around the world. At the worst moments of the pandemic, we sent those to some 48 countries. We work to recover the economic and social life of our country. We work to support the transformation of our communities and to sustain and extend social programs in the country. We continue to hone our legal order, our state uh, and the legal order that is of our socialist state of social justice to guarantee the full and proper enjoyment of all human rights by all Cuban people. And we do this 
to ultimately enrich the system of social justice which several generations have enjoyed. On the 25th of September, after a broad participatory process of popular consultation, we will hold the legislative referendum on an innovative family code. This vote will be a genuine exercise of direct democracy and of, of the effective power of the Cuban people. Mr. President, unity in diversity as proposed by then-President Raul Castro, is possible in countries of the South and the community of Latin American and Caribbean states, which is growing increasingly stronger and is creating conditions so that our region can develop higher, better forms of cooperation on the basis of the very precepts of the Declaration of Latin America and the Caribbean as a zone of peace. We are grateful for the dignified stance adopted by several countries in the region on the arbitrary, the, the fact that we've been arbitrarily excluded from various diplomatic fora in our hemisphere. We express our solidarity with the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela and with its constitutional president, Nicolas Maduro Moros and we stand shoulder to shoulder with the civic military union of its people as it attempts to withstand attempts made to subvert and destabilize the internal order of that brotherly country. We reject the implementation of unilateral coercive measures in and against Venezuela. We denounce in the imperialist attempts made to destabilize the government of reconciliation and national unity of Nicaragua. We, we reiterate our staunch support for the brotherly Nicaraguan people and for their president, Daniel Ortega. We stand in full solidarity with the sisterly nations of the Caribbean and we support their legitimate claims for reparations for the damaging effects of colonialism and slavery. These peoples need and deserve to receive just, special and differentiated treatment. We once again reaffirm our historic commitment to the self-determination and independence of the people of Puerto Rico. Haiti needs a special contribution to be made by the international community to its reconstruction and development. Humankind has a debt to settle with that republic. We support the legitimate claim of President Alberto Fernandez and of the sovereign people of the Argentinian Republic over the Malvinas Islands, the South Sandwich Islands and South Georgia Islands and the surrounding maritime areas. We express our full solidarity with the Vice President of Argentina, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, who was the victim of an unjust and unfounded legal and media attack, and then recently suffered an attempt on her life. We reiterate our staunch commitment to peace in Colombia. 
the clear preparedness and readiness for peace of Colombia's pre current president and relevant stakeholders mean that the region and the international community must extend their support to the nation. The necessary resources must be provided to support ag the Agenda 2063 of the African Union. That agenda establishes the roadmap for the development of that brotherly continent. We are lobbying for the search for a peaceful and negotiated solution to the situation imposed upon Syria, and we call for a cessation in foreign interference and for the full respect of Syria's sovereignty and territorial integrity. We support a just, broad and lasting solution to the conflict in the Middle East. This must be a solution which guarantees the genuine exercise of the inalienable right of the Palestinian people to build their own state within pre-1967 borders with their capital in East Jerusalem and we call for the end of the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian and the occupied Palestinian and Arab territories. We reaffirm our unwavering solidarity with the Sahrawi people. We reject the unilateral coercive measures imposed on the Islamic Republic of Iran. We condemn the imposition of unjust unilateral economic measures on the Democratic People's Republic of Korea and we condemn foreign interference in their domestic affairs. We oppose interference in the internal affairs of the Republic of Belarus. We reaffirm our repudiation of the imposition of unilateral sanctions against the Russian Federation. We condemn the unfounded smear campaigns waged against the People's Republic of China and attempts to undermine their territorial integrity and sovereignty. We reiterate the unwavering support for the One China policy. We champion a serious diplomatic and constructive and realistic solution to the current war in Ukraine. This solution must be found through peaceful means with full respect for international law. The solution must guarantee the security and sovereignty of all. Mr. President, Cuba will continue to speak out loud and clear to reject hegemonism and domination, unilateral coercive measures, genocidal blockades, and attempts to impose one culture and one model on the world. We will never let up in the defense of the independence, sovereignty, and self-determination of peoples without any interference or intervention from foreign powers. We have a glorious past and we must protect, protect present and future generations of Cubans with the leadership of President Miguel Díaz-Canel. We will creatively resist and we will tirelessly struggle until we reach, achieve our dreams of peace and development with equity and social justice for Cuba and for the world. Many thanks indeed. I thank the Minister for Foreign Affairs of Cuba.
And uh, that was uh, the address uh, by uh, the Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez of the Republic of Cuba. And uh, that address was delivered at the United Nations General Assembly, a 77th session that was held uh, late last month. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more addresses uh, from the United Nations General Assembly. Entitled Just One Look. Uh, right now, we'll hear uh, a message from the State of Eritrea, uh, Foreign Minister at the United Nations General Assembly, uh, just last week. Now, I give the floor to His Excellency Osman Saleh Mohammed, Minister for Foreign Affairs of Eritrea. Mr. President, Honorable Heads of State and Government, Distinguished Participants, good morning. Allow me first to express our congratulations for your election 
as president of the 77th session of the General Assembly. I also want to congratulate His Excellency Abdullah Shaheed for his successful stewardship of the Assembly during his presidency of hope in the 76th session. The annual session of the United Nations General Assembly held under the fitting theme a watershed moment, transformative solutions to interlocking challenges. It is taking place at, at an exceedingly preoccupying time of profound, intertwined, and multiple crises of epic proportion. These calamities have already have uh, adversely impacted all corners of our global village. In the past two and a half years, the COVID-19 pandemic had exacted a huge human toll in the global terms. It also inculcated chronic economic difficulties and structural at setbacks through domestic economic downturns and disruption of international supply chains. And while this scourge persists, we are confronted these days with equally perilous flowouts of climate change and global warming, which are exacerbating the already precarious situation. Furthermore, Cyclical conflicts, which have assumed an exceptionally dangerous and almost ap apocalyptic dimensions with the war in Ukraine, have uh, ratcheted up the impending crisis to unprecedented levels. The COVID-19 pandemic aside, the other interlocking variables and dimensions of the crisis constitute the cumulative consequences and telltale symptoms of a, of a tenuous and highly flawed global governance architecture. They are byproducts and manifestations of systemic failure of the unipolar order or unipolar world order that has prevailed for over 30 years. In reality, the much-vaunted rules-based international order represents a skewed set of duplicitous, asymmetric, and non-consensual norms and regulations. The fact is it was essentially designed to advance and safeguard the privileges of its principal architects to the exclusion of the majority of other nations and peoples. It is rather monolithic and condescending ideological perspective gives no room and space to historical context, distinct realities and cultures, and above all to independent policy choices of other sovereign peoples and nations. Indeed, all other sovereign peoples and nations are expected to fully adhere and kowtow both in their international relations and domestic policies to the gold standards stipulated 
in the flimsy, in the flimsy rules-based international order. In the final analysis, the costly wars of intervention, especially in Africa and the Middle East, in the past 30 years, heavy-handed meddling in domestic affairs, imposition of illicit and unilateral sanctions, distortion and weaponization of human rights, in brief, all the episodes of international and regional instability emanate from and are direct derivatives of the faulty global governance architecture. The negative ramifications of this dysfunctional system are not confined to the sovereign nations and peoples of the global south. To extreme and ridiculous inequalities where less than 1% of the population own 99% of national wealth, unbridled con consumerism, which has bred and continues to aggravate climate change. Atomization of societies that have literally decimated social compassion and community care by fostering exclusive and unnatural individualism are dangerous trends that will ultimately undermine the social fabric and stability in individual countries and our global village at large. Distinguished participants, my rather extensive perspectives on the flaws of the global governance structure do not stem solely from general and abstract desire of my government to seek timely and urgent remedies as underlined in the theme of this General Assembly. Eritrea has indeed borne the brunt of this unfair international order through illicit sanctions, the use of surrogate forces to create a situation of permanent co conflict and instability, as well as the weaponization of human rights to isolate and ostracize the young nation. Excellencies, as we all agree, the gravity of the interlocking problems that our global village has to grapple with is so immense warranting urgent and comprehensive remedial action. We are really living on borrowed time. The prevailing global governance architecture has lost legitimacy and corroded vital global equilibrium that is crucial for continuity and sustainability. In the event it behoves us to rise up to the equation to summon the requisite political goodwill in order to roll back and rectify the dangerous trend. We must recognize the resources, the technological know-how at the disposal of humanity are more than what is required if we set our minds for an inclusive and compassionate world order. In this respect, and in our modest view, one 
our global village and the United Nations system must devise a new international order that is anchored on consensus with the full and equal participation of its constituencies. Two, the sacrosanct principles of the equality of all member states and the respect of the sovereignty and political independence of nations and peoples must be upheld. Three, equitable representation of all member states in all decision-making international bodies must be guaranteed through viable and sustainable modalities and mechanisms. Four, selective and partial parameters that impede collective well-being and the fostering of a compassionate social system will require, will require sort of review. I thank you. I thank the Minister for Foreign Affairs of Eritrea. Welcome back. And that was uh, Usman Saleh, uh, the foreign minister of the state of Eritrea. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide uh, radio broadcast. Today is uh, Saturday, October 1, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, to another edition of our program. And uh, right now we're going to hear from... Uh, the president of uh, the state of Palestine and his address uh, before uh, the uh, United Nations uh, General Assembly. Assembly will hear an address. The Assembly will hear an address by His Excellency Mahmoud Abbas, president of the state of Palestine. I request protocol to escort His Excellency. On behalf of the General Assembly, I have the honor to welcome His Excellency Mahmoud Abbas, President of the State of Palestine, and to invite him to address the Assembly. In the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate. Your Excellency Chaba Korochi, President of the General Assembly. Your Excellency Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations. Ladies and gentlemen, heads and members of delegations, may the peace of God be upon you. I am addressing you today on behalf of more than 14 million Palestinians whose fathers and ancestors have lived the tragic Nakba 74 years ago, and they are still living the spillovers of this Nakba, which, which is a humiliation for 
the whole humanity, and especially for those who have conspired, planned, and executed this heinous crime. More than 5 million Palestinians have been living under the Israeli military occupation for more than 54 years. And I would like to tell you today, on behalf of the Palestinians, whom I am proud to belong to, that our trust in the possibility of achieving a peace based on justice and international law is unfortunately regressing because of the Israeli occupation policies. Do you want, ladies and gentlemen, to smother whatever hope we still have? It is clear, ladies and gentlemen, that Israel which is ignoring the resolutions of the international legitimacy, has decided not to be our partner in the peace process. It has undermined the Oslo Accords, which it had signed with the PLO. It has and still is through its current policies, which are premeditated and deliberate, destroying the two-state solution. This proves unequivocally that Israel does not believe in peace. It believes in, the, in imposing a status quo by force and by aggression. Therefore, we do not have an Israeli partner anymore to whom we can talk. Israel is thus ending its contractual relation with us. And it is making the relationship between the state of Palestine and Israel a relationship between an occupying state and an occupied people, nothing more. Therefore, we will only deal with Israel as such. And we call upon the international community to deal with it as such, as well. Israel has chosen that itself. We did not make that choice. Israel made that choice. Israel is launching a frantic campaign to confiscate our lands, to build settlements, to loot our resources, as if this land is empty and has no owners exactly as it did in 1948. Israel is giving total freedom to the army and to the terrorist settlers who are killing the Palestinian people in broad daylight, looting their land and their water, burning and demolishing their homes compelling them to pay for the demolition or forcing them to destroy their homes with their own hands and uproot their trees. All this with an official protection. Can you imagine what is happening? Israel is 
telling the Palestinian people, either you demolish your house or I will demolish it myself. But demolish it yourself with your own hands, it's better, because if I demolish it, you will have to pay the cost of the demolishing. Have you ever heard about this? Can you imagine what is happening? This is what is taking place. I have to demolish my house or they demolish my house and they make me pay for it. Furthermore, the Israeli government has authorized the establishment of Jewish racist terrorist organizations exercising terrorism against our people. They have provided them with protection while they are aggressing the Palestinians and calling to expel them from their homes. On top of these terrorist organizations, I mention the Hilltop Youth, Price Tag, Lehava, the Temple Guardians, and many others. These terrorist organizations are being led by members of the Israeli Knesset. by members of the Israeli legitimacy. And in this context, we call upon the international community to list these terrorist organizations on the international terrorism list. This is the only place they deserve. Israel did not leave us any land on which we can establish our independent state in the frame of its frantic settlement expansion. Where will our people live in freedom and dignity? Where, will our, where can we build our independent state that will live in peace with its neighbors? We want to live in peace with them, with them, with Israel. Where will we establish our independent state to live in peace with them? The settlements, unfortunately, constitute 751,000, or 25% of the total population, 25% in the West Bank, the Palestinian land which remains for us. Israel is killing our people with impunity, as it did with the Palestinian journalist Shirin Abu Akli. You have all heard of Shirin Abu Akli. She was killed with the bullets of a sniper. It means that the sniper deliberately killed her, and Israel recognized that the sniper recognized that he did kill her. And besides her Palestinian nationality, she also has the, nation, the American nationality. And I would, I dare the United States to prosecute those who have killed this American national. Why? Because they are Israelis.
Israel is also targeting our sacred holy sites, Christian and Islamic, especially in Jerusalem, our eternal capital and the crown jewel. And I would like to reiterate here our attachment to the Hashemite custodianship on these holy sites. Those are the Muslim and Christian holy sites that are being targeted on a daily basis by Israel. Without any justification, every day. Here they are attacking the funerals of Shireen Abu Akli inside the church, inside that holy uh, place. They have attacked the procession, and this is what Israel is doing in the holy sites. Israel is also impo imposing falsified curricula in our schools in occupied Jerusalem. They are inventing curricula. With the same authors, they take the book and they change what is put in that book, and then they impose the curricula on our children to control what they are learning. This is a violation of international law. Israel is also disrupting the presidential and legislative Palestinian elections by forbidding the Palestinian citizens in Jerusalem to take part in these elections. And this has taken place in 1996, in 2005, and in 2006. So there are three precedents, three times where they did so. And they ask us, why don't you organize elections? We are ready. We have issued the decrees to organize these elections, and we have decided to organize the elections, but Israel did not allow us to do so. Therefore, we did not cancel the elections. We only postponed them. When Israel allows, or when some tell her that she can allow, or when some order Israel that they can allow for these elections to take place, then we will organize them. Israel is enacting racist laws, consecrating the apartheid regime. Yes, apartheid. And if they do not like the appellation, this is the truth. They are an apartheid regime. not only between Palestinians and Jews. They are doing so against our people before the eyes on the international community with total impunity. Why isn't Israel being held accountable for violating international law? Who is protecting Israel from being held accountable? I have no idea. Do you know? Do you know who is protecting Israel from being held accountable? The United Nations. And on top of the United Nations, the most powerful in the United Nations. Why these double standards? Why do, do they, don't they treat us equally with the others? 
Why these double standards when it comes to Israel? Israel did not hesitate to repeatedly violate our land, and recently they have closed the headquarters of six human rights, Palestinian human rights organizations. They, we, they want the law. They try to implement, uh, to, to implement the law, but if we make a mistake, they hold us accountable, and they say, you have made a mistake. Suddenly, Israel considers that these organizations are terrorist organizations, and they raid their headquarters, and they loot their uh, assets. They confiscate their documents and burn them. They do whatever they please. And the whole world is saying that this is wrong, except for Israel. It is saying that it is not wrong. This is what Israel has done in the offices of these human rights organizations. What would it have done if they weren't human rights organizations? Ladies and gentlemen, Israel, ever since it was created, has committed heinous crimes against our people. When they destroyed 529 Palestinian villages, expelling their dwellers during and after the war of 1948. They have displaced. I figure that some try to manipulate sometimes. They have displaced 950,000 Palestinian refugees, so half of the Palestinian people back then, 950,000, not, as Israel says, 250,000. No, 950,000. Those are the UNRWA statistics, so the UN statistics. And of course now they account for millions. Israel has committed ever since and until now more than 50 massacres more than 50 massacres since 1948 and until today. And some of those massacres have been recently committed, and Israel recognized that it had deliberately committed these massacres and that they have targeted the farmers coming back from their agricultural land and they killed them in cold blood. 50 or 51 massacres. The most recent of which was against Gaza, which was targeted with missiles. I will not tell you how many elderly it killed, but the New York Times it's a U.S. newspaper. So the New York Times. Welcome back. 
And that was uh, excerpts uh, from uh, the address by Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the state of Palestine uh, at uh, the United Nations General Assembly uh, during the last uh, week of September. And uh, our final address uh, from the United Nations General Assembly uh, 77th session uh, will be uh, from uh, the Deputy Prime Minister of the Federal uh, Democratic Republic of Ethiopia. Let's listen to his address. I now give the floor to His Excellency Demeke Mekonen Hassan, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Foreign Affairs of Ethiopia. Excellency President of the General Assembly, Excellency Secretary General of the United Nations, Excellencies Heads of State and Government, the peace-loving people of our world, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. President, I congratulate you and your country, Hungary, on your election as the President of the General Assembly. I would also like to thank His Excellency Abdullah Shahid for his service and leadership during the 76th General Assembly. I have the greatest honor to speak before this August Assembly representing my country, Ethiopia. Sir, at a historic crossroads in the evolution of our multilateral system. Humanity is facing multiple and complex challenges ranging from climate change, extreme poverty, conflicts, terrorism, and geopolitical tensions. The consequences of these global challenges are of epic proportions and leave adverse socio-political impacts across the world. Nevertheless, international cooperation is not at a level near the gravity of the challenge. Although climate change and the resulting extreme weather conditions occur throughout the globe, the crisis largely affects the minimally resilient and the least responsible for causing the problem. A case in point is our region the Horn Africa, which in some part is highly hit by record level drought files, sustaining extreme flooding in other parts. Mr. President, climate disaster and its insufferable impacts are preventable. I therefore make an urgent call to all states gathered here to translate rhetoric into action. We must realize our climate finance commitments to build resilience and mitigate impact. We should act to meet our emission reduction targets. This requires 
focused coordination, non-politicization, avoidance of securitization, and good faith cooperation among all stakeholders. I must emphasize, Africa is not responsible for the historic emissions that caused the climate crisis. Yet, we are the ones making the most tangible contribution to mitigate the impacts of climate change. In Ethiopia, our afforestation program, the Ethiopian Green Legacy Initiative saw the planting of billions of seedlings and created a strong culture of afforestation. We are also on a path to sustainable energy transformation and green growth. These proactive programs deserve recognition and tangible support. Mr. President, we have a shared planet and a common destiny. Overcoming our collective challenges require concerted efforts and trusted global leadership. We are gathered here because our forefathers, learning from the tragic episodes of human history, decided to establish the United Nations as the guardian of peace. However, we are yet to achieve true universality in the main organs of the United Nations. Africa has no permanent seat at the UN Security Council. Our quest for African solutions to African problems is yet to be given the respect and support it deserves. We believe these considerations underpin the credibility of the Council in the continent. African problems are sustainably addressed when approached in the true context of the region and take full account of the strategic interests and aspirations of, aspirations of the countries concerned. It is only when we do this and uphold regional solutions we could start reducing the proliferation and over-extended study of African issues in the UN Security Council. Mr. President, for the past four years, Ethiopia has made significant progress in its socio-economic development and democratization. These years have also been compounded by challenges that tested our survival as a nation. In November 2020, the most heinous and treasonous attack was waged against the Ethiopian National Defense Force that protected not only the peace and stability of Ethiopia, but also helped keep peace in other countries on behalf of, on behalf of the United Nations and the African Union. The criminal group that remains hell-bent in destroying societal foundation of our country colluded with external actors opposed to our development aspirations. The insecurities, the insecurities this group created has been very tragic and costly. Yet, the government of Ethiopia has earnestly tried to avoid this conflict. Regrettably, our efforts to prevent the conflict from igniting were not successful. Thanks to the resolve and determination of Ethiopians, 
The designs of our adversaries against Ethiopia's progress have been frustrated. We have also paved a path for peace and recovery, relying on the ability of the peace-loving people of Ethiopia to reconcile, make peace among ourselves, and start the process of healing. We thus call for support to our agenda for peace, reconciliation, and reconstruction. We also urge respect for and support to the AULED peace process. Any other approach, including the politicization of human rights and unilateral coercive measures, will not yield any positive outcome. Mr. President, the past year has also been a milestone for my country and we believe to the entire Nile, Basin, Nile River Basin. Our project, the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, commenced lighting our homes and fulfilling our intergenerational aspiration. All the glory and gratitude go to the people of Ethiopia who financed this project. The dividend goes far and wide to the entire region. Taking this opportunity, I reiterate Ethiopia's commitment to equity and cooperation in the use of transboundary rivers and shared prosperity with all riparian countries. We will continue in good faith the trilateral negotiation under the auspices of the African Union to reach a mutually acceptable outcome. Mr. President, over the past three years, the implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals encountered serious setbacks. The global COVID-19 pandemic has tested our health system. Global trade in goods and services was halted, causing a great deal of loss to our economies. The response by international financial institutions has been below the required level and did not account for the special vulnerability of least developed countries. As the Secretary General of the United Nations put it, it is necessary to turbocharge the implementation of the SDGs. We call for enhanced focus and support to national efforts to improve agricultural and manufacturing product productivity, increase investment, facilitate technology transfer, foster fair trade, redouble debt cancellation, and restructuring and enhance international finance for national priority projects. Furthermore, we should enhance the efforts to combat illicit financial flows, unlawful extradition and trade of minerals and corruption. Africa's youthful population and its vast natural resources should be a source of growth and better jobs. Africa can be the showcase for green and sustainable development. It can feed and power itself and the world. This requires reform of the global financial architecture to ensure more equitable, speedy, and collaborative cooperation based on the needs and potential of least developed countries. More importantly, we must actively support governments that work to create a conducive environment 
for the prosperity of their countries. In addition, Africa's effort to chart its destiny must not be complicated by big power competition. Mr. President, allow me to conclude by re-emphasizing the need to scale up international cooperation. The gravity of the challenge we face today demand us to come together in search of collective solution. We need more, not less, multilateralism. We shall continue to uphold our cardinal principles of independence, impartiality, integrity, non-interference, sovereign equality, and non-selective to maintain a working multilateral system rooted in the Charter of the United Nations. We need to reform our global institutions to reflect current realities. We need to make them more representative and responsive to the demands of the time. Only through genuine solidarity and concerted action could we ensure collective security and prosperity. I thank you all for your attention and wish you, Mr. President, a successful term of office. I thank you. Amasagnalo. I thank the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Foreign Affairs of Ethiopia. And uh, that was uh, the Deputy uh, Prime Minister of uh, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia delivering an address uh, at the United Nations General Assembly, uh, 77th session that was held uh, just last week and the week before in New York City. That's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Saturday, October the 1st, uh, 2022. We've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Let's thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to another edition of our program. And uh, we're going to close out uh, with uh, the music of the legendary Beryl Sanders, uh, who made his transition uh, uh, just uh, uh, last week uh, at the age of 81, uh, born in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, Sanders became a phenomenal figure uh, in jazz, uh, having played uh, with the legendary John Coltrane, uh, Leon Thomas, Phyllis Hyman, and many others. We're going to hear uh, from the 1972 album entitled Black Unity. This is Pharaoh uh, Sanders. And uh, we're going to be closing out then this is Abayomi Azikawe signing off and have a beautiful week. Mm-hmm.